All right, good morning again. And uh, welcome to Waters Church, North Attleboro. If you are here for the first time, we are one church in three locations, North, North Attleboro, Easton, Massachusetts. I'm Tim. I am the pastor here at the North Attleboro campus. And if you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you decided to come to Waters Church today. Hope that you find a church home here. All right, uh, with that in mind, we want to say a welcome to our Easton campus who watches the message by video. They're watching now, and if you'll just welcome them in with me. Welcome to the Easton campus. Good to see you guys as well. Glad you're here. Um, last night, we had our first Saturday evening worship service, worship experience. It was great. We had uh, almost 90 people in attendance. That was a phenomenal number because I remember when we went to two Sunday morning services and, and we had like 300 people in one service and 10 in the second, and that was kind of odd to preach to. But uh, last week was great, and uh, we, last night was great. We had a wonderful time, and we're excited. Now, here's the deal with Saturday night. You don't have to come both. You, you choose. That's what that's all about. It's options. I know that there's Pop Warner football and there's sports and there's stuff happening on Sunday. So if you know somebody who can't come Sunday because of that, will you tell them come on out Saturday night at 5 o'clock? We had the cafe open. It was a great time of fellowship as well. The children's ministry is operational. Everything is up and running just like Sunday morning. And uh, if you can't wait to get the word and you, you want to get it 16 hours earlier than everybody else, Come on out Sunday night, a Saturday night. That's for you, okay? Last night's food, too, in a cafe was tremendous. I had two bacon cheeseburgers. Yeah. And now I feel very lethargic. <laughs> if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to get in the Word nonetheless, and we're going to go to John chapter 16. If you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible right now from your app store or marketplace, search Bible, and it's from lifechurch.tv. It is the Holy Bible in a billion different versions. I read from the NIV, if you want to be absolutely on target with what I'm reading from. And then we're going to go in those Bibles, in our paper Bibles, in our smartphone Bibles, in our tablet Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 16, and we're going to open up this long-awaited series We've called He. It is about the Holy Spirit. Long time coming, but Hurricane Irene kind of knocked us for a loop. Then it was September 11th after Labor Day weekend. And so now finally we are here at our series on the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you might not know this, you might not be aware of it, or you might have just forgotten about it. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him in our lives. I want to ask you a question, and, and don't shout out the answer, just think about it. What do you believe is the best thing you've got going for you? What do you believe is the best thing you've got going for you? And there's a couple of ways that you can answer this. Uh, when you meet somebody new, it's usually the thing that you want them to find out about as soon as possible, your job. Your, 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 the place where you live in the community or, you know, where, how many kids you got or how long you've been married. It's usually that first thing that comes to your mind when you want to tell people about yourself. Another way that you can answer it, a modern way that people are answering this question is this. What do you update your Facebook page mostly about? Because usually whatever that is the most, that's what you think is the best thing about your life. And there's a lot of things that people put their stock in in their significance. 
a lot of people put it in their, their job. They're, they're proud of their job. They're proud of their income. They're proud of their position in the company. And I think that we realize these past five years in our economy that jobs are not always safe. You can have a job today and lose it tomorrow. We have, we have gotten a reality check about the security of our financial standing in the world and in our lives. Some people put their stock in their looks. They, they want to make sure that they are absolutely presentable at all times, and they want to dress to kill, and they want to be absolutely stunning. And I want to say this, it's important that you look your best, especially on Sunday morning. Preacher doesn't like preaching to ugly people. But I want to say that don't put all your stock in your looks and in how you present yourself. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs that beauty is fleeting. All right? And, 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 and if you're 35 and, 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 and you've reached that pinnacle of, of attractiveness in your life, I, I want to say this to everybody over 35. I want you to go home today. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say, that's as good as it's going to get. It's downhill from here. I promise you, it's downhill. Okay, I just turned 35. I am holding on for dear life to these days. <laughs> Amen. Um, but, but beauty, or, or men, handsomeness is fleeting. Okay, it's going to fade away. Don't put your stock in that. Uh, thirdly, and this is something for Christian families, pay attention. A lot of people put their stock or they believe the best thing that they've got going for them is their family. And we want to have perfect Christian families and we want to have perfect Christian kids and we want to have a perfect Christian marriage and we want to have all this Christian kind of community in our home and have all of our ducks in a row and all of our kids great and all of our kids saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues on Sunday and we want to be absolutely righteous in God, in our house and in our family. And I want to say to you, that just doesn't happen. This might sound shocking as from a preacher, but I've seen a lot of families in the church who are messed up, and we put our stock in that. We want to have perfect Christian families. It doesn't happen. Life happens, and, and they, might be, they might be perfect kids right now, but they're only two days old. <laughs> Give them a couple of years. Wait until they hit their teenage years. Wait until they hit their raging 20s. I mean, it just, just life happens, Right? So some of you know this firsthand, so, and I want to say don't put all your stock in that ideal Christian family. You know, I don't even know where we get this idea that as Christians we're supposed to have an ideal Christian family. It's not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Every family that I read about in the Bible was jacked up. Every single one. They had issues, sin, adultery, lies, uh, deception. We had brothers killing brothers right from the beginning. The first pair of brothers killed it. One of them killed the other one. I mean, families are tough work. So I want to say this. Yeah, aim for it, but don't put all your stock in having that perfect Christian home. Because I don't think that your job or your looks or your family or any of that other stuff that you could put your stock in is the best thing you've got going for you. I believe that it is and always should be the Holy Spirit in you. Okay, John chapter 16, Jesus is going to echo this sentiment for us. In John chapter 16, verse 5 through 7, he says this, and, and, and I want you to hear this uh, very clearly, what Jesus is saying is a very shocking statement. He's about to shock his disciples. 
And here's what he says. Now I am going to him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father. And he's going back to the Father. And he says, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? They probably didn't want to ask where he's going because they didn't like the idea that he was going in the first place. And then he says this, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Well, what things had he said? Well, earlier in John chapter 16, just a couple of verses earlier, he had just told his disciples, uh, here's what's going to happen to you guys. Uh, First off, I'm leaving, and then here's what's going to happen after I go. They're going to kill you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. They're going to despise you, and they're going to kill you, and they're going to think by killing you, they are actually doing a service to God. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving. I mean, you've got to imagine these disciples in this moment has to be, you know, has to be very confusing. And so he says, you're filled with grief, and I get that. I get that. This is hard for you to hear. But verse 7, he says this, but I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the counselor, somebody say counselor. He will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. What a shocking statement. Because you got to put yourself in the position of these 12 disciples. They've just followed this carpenter from Nazareth for three years. And by the way, they left everything that they had to follow him. Uh, Peter and James and John and, and Andrew, they left their father's fishing business. That was their way of making money. Uh, Matthew left a lucrative tax-collecting career. He could have been a millionaire, and he left that all to follow Jesus. In John chapter 6, Peter says it like this, uh, Jesus, where else can we go? We have left everything to follow you. And they followed him for three years. And by the way, they were there through all the great moments. They were there when Jesus healed the sick. They were there when Jesus uh, cast out demons. They were there when Jesus... Um, fed the multitudes. They, they, were, they were there when Jesus raised the dead. I mean, these had to be three thrilling years for these 12 guys. Because I don't know about you, but you can't get bored around Jesus. You, you hang around a guy who knows how to raise the dead. It's impossible to get bored around that guy. That's why one of the worst things the church can do is make Jesus boring. Why, why do people say church is boring? Because that church has lost touch with the Savior that they serve. Jesus was exciting. You never knew what Jesus was going to do next. One moment he's walking on the water. The next moment he's feeding 5,000 people with a fish fillet sandwich. It was exciting to follow Jesus. It was awesome to be with Jesus. And they were sad now that Jesus says, I've got some news for you. I'm leaving. And by the way, this is good for you. Because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in you. Do you know what that means? It means that it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than Jesus next to you. Isn't that crazy? It does not, not equate in some of your minds to think about that. I'd like to have Jesus there with me. But Jesus says, no, this is more important. You need the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what kind of church background you come from. But you probably came from one or two church backgrounds. 
you might have come from the church background that mentioned the Holy Spirit but didn't talk about him that much. They, they kind of treated the Holy Spirit like that, that weird uncle that would show up at Thanksgiving every once in a while. And yeah, he's there, he's part of the family, but we don't like to talk about him. Or you came from my church background and everything was centered on the Holy Spirit and, and, and you probably heard things like tongues and, and you probably got your friends to church and, and some ladies spoke out in tongues and they were scared to death to come back. I hear you, that was my experience growing up. But I think that we do damage to our lives, to our, to our, to our hope in Christ when we neglect the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is the power that God gives us to do the work God has for us. And at the same time, we can overemphasize the Holy Spirit to the point where th that we get crazy and, and we get nuts and we get weird. And, and, and a lot of you know this because you came from churches that were, they were good, solid, you know, they were good, uh, sincere people. But, you know, just be honest with me, they were weird. <laughs> they were strange. And, and so here's what I say. The Holy Spirit does not come to make the church weird. The Holy Spirit comes to make the church powerful. Yeah. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. She, uh, Jesus says he's our counselor. And the Greek there is parakletos. It's, it's uh, the same word that Jesus uses for himself. It's an advocate. We talked about this last Sunday for 9-11 that we have an advocate before the Father in Jesus. Guess what? We also have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. He is our counselor. He is on our side. Uh, the word advocate is a legal term. It's somebody who represents you before a judge. There's this wonderful verse in, in Romans chapter 8 that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit being our advocate. And here's what he does. The Bible says that when we don't know what we should pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us with words we can't even put into, into expression. Isn't it good to know that even when you don't know what you should pray for, that the Holy Spirit in you is praying for you for exactly God's will in your life? Isn't that good to know? That's, that's, that, that, that's wonderful news. And so that's what Jesus says, this thing, the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send into you. I want you to know it's the best thing that you've got going for you if you are a follower of Christ. Here's the equation. You plus the Holy Spirit is enough. You plus the Holy Spirit is enough. All you need to do all that God wants for you is the power of God's Spirit in your life. And in John chapter 16, in this first message on the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us the job description of our advocate, of our counselor, of the Holy Spirit. And look with me in verse 7. Jesus says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will, what's the next word? He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now this is a very confusing statement. First off, on the surface, this statement sounds very negative, doesn't it? I, I mean, it's got some negative words, doesn't it? It's got guilt, it's got sin, it's got righteousness, it's got judgment. I mean, that, that sounds to me like this, that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna show me how guilty I should be for the sin I committed because I'm not righteous and God is gonna come and get me. 
That's what it sounds like on the surface of things. And many people believe that about God. That's why they stay away from church and away from God. They don't want to know how guilty they are. They don't want to know how sinful they are. And so Jesus must have known that this statement was going to be confusing because he follows it up with, with clarification in verse 9. And let's read that together. Here's what he says. I want to make clear what you know about the Holy Spirit. He says, in regard to sin, he's going to convict the world in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. And then Jesus says, in regard to righteousness, this is the second part of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, because I am going to the Father where you, believers, can see me no longer. And then in verse 11, he says this, the third part of the Holy Spirit says, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And I want to unpack this phrase for you, because I believe that this phrase sums up the source of all of our confidence as the people of God. And there are three works of the Holy Spirit in convicting. And that word convict, that's the title today. It could be also translated convince, because when I am convicted of something, right, if I'm convicted of something, it means that I have become convinced of that thing. For instance, I am, convin I am convicted that the Patriots will win today. And you guys are, what, mild about that? My goodness, where are the Patriot fans today? I am convicted that they will win today. Amen. All right, all right, all right. Just as long as you clap louder for Jesus, that's okay. Uh, I am convicted of something means that I am convinced of that thing. That's what it means. So there are three works for three different crowds of people that the Holy Spirit does. Verse 9, he says, he will convict or convince the world of guilt in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about unbelievers. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is this. The Holy Spirit convinces sinners they need Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convinces sinners they need Jesus. And hear me today, that is absolutely important for every unbeliever because no one ever comes to Jesus Christ because they've been debated into believing him. Nobody's been argued into this thing. And some of you, you are wasting your breath with unbelievers. And you are arguing your little self up into a tizzy around the Thanksgiving table with your unbelieving aunt. And she is just nailing you to the wall and crucifying you. And you're getting all hurt. And you're getting all mad. And you just want to punch her in the face. But the cranberry sauce is in the way. And you're just mad because she doesn't believe in Jesus. And I want to remind you, nobody gets argued into believing in Jesus. What happens, Jesus says, is that the Holy Spirit convinces them that they need a Savior. And so what you need to do is stop praying for a better argument about evolution versus creationism. Because that's never going to work. And you need to stop praying for a better argument about the existence of God versus the Big Bang or whatever. By the way, I believe in the Big Bang. God said, let there be, and bang, there was. Amen. Um, <laughs> uh, still, that joke still gets laughs. Amen. Um, you need to stop praying for a better argument, and you need to start praying for the Holy Spirit to do the work in their heart. And I want to challenge every believer. Do you know that we are called to share our faith with everybody? We are called to share our faith with our unbelieving neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family. 
And what we are not called to do is be arrogant. What we're not called to do is be proud and boastful and forceful. But we are called to pray. And here's what you got to pray for. You pray for the Holy Spirit to challenge their hearts. You just pray. Holy Spirit, open their eyes to how lost they are without Jesus Christ. You, you, just, you just pray for your father. You just pray for your brother. You just pray for that aunt at the Thanksgiving table. And you just pray that the Holy Spirit does his work. It is his work to convince sinners. It is not yours. Your job is to be a witness. Your job is to be an example. Your job is to share your faith as God has changed your life. Because what they can't argue with ever is your changed life. Amen. So that's the first work of the Holy Spirit. He, he convinces sinners they need Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus kind of changes the, the, the subject of the, of the sentence here. And in verse 10, he says this. The Holy Spirit will convict in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father. And notice the change in subject here where you... That's the change right there, where you can see me no longer. Who's Jesus talking about now? He's talking about believers. And he says, here's the deal with believers and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into a believer's life to convince them of righteousness. Now, to understand this, we got to understand what is righteousness. Because the second work of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit will convince the believer in regard to righteousness. What is righteousness? Um, many people believe that righteousness is being a moral person. That's not righteousness. Many people believe that righteousness is doing nice things. That's not righteousness. According to the scriptures, according to the pages of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the righteousness in the, in the New Testament is right standing with God, that we have righteousness before God. What is righteousness? Right standing before God, and we have this by faith. Faith and faith alone. We are justified before God, and we have right standing. That means that when God sees us, he does not see our sin, he does not see our mistakes, he does not see our frailties. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lived a perfect life, who died our death and bore our punishment and was judged for our sins. And if we receive him as Savior and Lord, we are receiving his righteousness on our lives. And God now declares us right before him. That's really good news for you. That's really good news. Because here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have righteousness. We have right standing with God. This is good for all the doubters in the house. All the doubters. You've placed your faith in Christ. You believe that he is your Lord and your Savior, but you still struggle with where you stand before God. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You, you just have those doubts. I still make mistakes. Does God, am I, am, I, am I out of the family now? Has God cut me off? Uh, am I still right with God? 
And this is why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes into your life to bear witness with you that before God, you stand righteous before God, not based on what you've done, but based on what Christ has done. And when God looks at you, he sees the record of his perfect, blameless son. Is it fair? No. It's grace. It's mercy. It's the love of God that he cares enough about you to wipe away all of your sins and give you the record of Christ. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can stop doubting your standing before God and you can start having confidence that you are right before the Father and you have access to him. Now, the Bible says this in Romans 8, verse 15. Fabulous little verse. Romans 8, verse 15 says that you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You received the spirit of of daughterhood. And by that spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a great term, Abba, Father. Let me tell you what that's not referencing. That's not referring to a 1970s rock band. The word Abba is the Aramaic equivalent of the word Daddy. And when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, it confirms in our hearts that we have the right to call the Heavenly Father our Dad. How many know a dad is more intimate than father. Maybe you had one of those dads, maybe you had one of those fathers who was like, you either call me sir or you call me father. And that was it. You never called him dad. And, and, and consequently, that always created a lot of distance between you. You always felt like you had to be you know, upright about it and everything like that. And, and every false move he was on you about. And here's what the deal is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, chill out. Your father in heaven loves you. And you can have close, you can have intimacy. Only a secure son can call his dad, dad. Only a secure son can, can, can run into the bedroom in the morning and jump on dad and not fear consequence. Only a secure son in his father's love for him can jump on the lap of that father as he's trying to watch the game today and say, daddy, daddy, pay attention to me. Tom Brady's not your son. I'm your son. And he, and he does that without fear of consequence. Why? Because he knows that that father loves him. And Jesus says to, the, to you, to believers, that the Holy Spirit is there to bear witness in your heart. You have the right to jump on your heavenly father's lap and say, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. Or Daddy, I need you. Or, Daddy, I want to be around you. Daddy, I thank you for being my father, caring for me and and, and watching over me. Isn't that good news? That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we don't have any doubts. So that we're absolutely secure. And here's the best part. When you know your father loves you, it doesn't matter who hates you. It doesn't matter who leaves you. When you have that confidence before God, you can say, I don't care if everybody leaves me. My heavenly Father cares about me, and I'm secure and completed in his love. I have a spirit that makes me say, Daddy, Abba Father. There's this 1963 photograph in Look Magazine that captured JFK sitting in the Oval Office. And uh, for those of you who don't know, in 1960, it was the first time in 80 years that a sitting president had a son. Some of you remember that. I, for one, do not because I was not old enough to remember that. Amen. Praise God. But some of you remember, 
Some of you remember that. And, and, and it was the first time in 80 years of our country's history that a sitting president had a son. And then Look Magazine went in and they did this expose on the first family. And they captured this iconic, it is now iconic, this photograph with, with the president sitting in the most powerful position in the world. There he is doing powerful business, intimidating stuff in the Oval Office. And there you see John John, little JFK Jr. is just popping his head out of the door of the backside of the Resolute desk. And it's a picture of how confident little JFK Jr. was there in the most powerful room in the world where deals went down and treaties went down and, and, and legislation went down, all that kind of powerful stuff that made the movers and shakers move and shake. There's little John John just peering out, playing around his father in the most powerful room. I mean, I think about how many dignitaries walk into the Oval Office and they get scared and intimidated by that Oval Office. I think about how many people have gotten, powerful people have gotten into that room and felt totally scared. I remember when I had the privilege to walk into the Oval Office and I was so scared being in that powerful room. And I've never been to the Oval Office, but I thought that would make my message sound better. <laughs> but it's just such an intimidating place to be for dignitaries and heads of state. And there's little John, he's just having a fun time in his father's throne room. Christians, let me tell you something. That's a picture of me and you with our Heavenly Father. That we can go into his throne room, that we can approach him with confidence and boldness. That we can know, yeah, I messed up this week, but my father is still there, and he still loves me, and I still have access to him, unlimited access to a heavenly father who is not going to look at me and remember my mistakes, but knows that Jesus Christ bore the punishment for all my sins, and now I have right standing with God. How do I know this? By the Holy Spirit that God has sent into my life. This, this is why many of you need, before the end of the service, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you are constantly bombarded with self-doubt. You just can't get over past sins. You just, you just are convinced that God is expecting you to get your act together before you come to him. Can I tell you that never works? It never works, and you can't. People say this to me all the time. Well, I, I can't go to church. I need to get my act together first. No, you don't. Jesus said, I have come for the sick. He said, I've come for the, the people who know they need a doctor. He didn't come for the healthy or those who think they're healthy. If you feel spiritually sick, let me tell you something. You are welcome here. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your issue is. I don't care what you did. You are welcome here because this is the place where there's a hospital for the soul. Amen, somebody. You have access. You have access by faith, and God sends you his spirit so that you can know, you can know that you belong. Isn't, isn't that important? And to know that you belong in the house of God. Third thing, third thing, lastly, that Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit's work of convicting. In verse 8, he says this, when he comes, he will convict the world in, in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then verse 11, that last part, look, God, Jesus clarifies this last word, judgment. That sounds scary, doesn't it? That, that, that sounds bad. 
judgment is bad. Yes, it is bad. But Jesus clarifies it. He says, let me tell you what that judgment is talking about you, because it's not talking about Christians. Jesus says, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about this figure, this figure called the prince of this world. Who is the prince of this world? It's Satan. Before Jesus um, died on the cross and was buried and rose again, Satan was the prince of this world. He was. He was in charge. That's why the world was such a mess before Jesus came. And it was barbaric and it was dark before Jesus came. You ever notice how since Jesus came, the world has progressively gotten more and more and more civilized. And wherever Christianity is freely preached, there is civilization, there is harmony in that culture to a greater extent than any other culture in the world. And so the prince of this world was the devil. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come to the church. He's going to fill the believer. He's going to fill the church so that the church can be absolutely convinced that their spiritual enemy is defeated. And that's the third work of the Holy Spirit in the world. The Holy Spirit lives in the church to convince the church that our enemy, Satan, and every demon of hell is defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. That we are not under the auspices of Satan. No Christian can say the devil made me do it. You are not under the control of the enemy of your soul. You have authority by faith in Jesus' name. You have authority. You have power. You have um, rulership over the principalities and the dark forces and the spiritual enemies in heavenly places that Ephesians chapter 6 talks about. And no demon and no evil spirit from hell can touch you or your family unless you let them. This, this, is, this is extremely good news, okay, because I see a lot of Christians who are scared, who are, are worried, who are frustrated, who are confused, who feel condemned. Can I tell you today that those spirits do not come from God? Insecurity doesn't come from God. Fear doesn't come from God. He says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you a spirit of sonship. The Bible says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That we can stand our ground and know that no demon in hell can touch us. That no demon in hell has authority over us. That we can stand in our homes and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, all authority in the name of Jesus Christ exists in this home. And you can tell demons and evil spirits to leave you alone. Leave your kids alone. Leave your wife alone. Leave your spouse alone. Leave your house alone because you have authority in the name of Jesus. This is good news for you. The Spirit of God. Listen, listen. The Spirit of God convinces you of this. And this is why you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're just struggling with insecurity today, then I'm going to challenge you to, to receive the Spirit. You know, I think about Peter, and he was so insecure that he couldn't even stand his ground in front of a 12-year-old little girl when she asked him, are you one of Jesus' disciples? And the insecurity in his heart rose up, and the fear, and what would happen? And the Bible says he swore 
and he cursed, and he said, no way, I'll never deny him. I mean, I'll, I mean I'm not his follower. After he had just said, I'll never deny him. And, and, and then you see that same Peter, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon that same Peter, same guy, same skin, same face, same everything. This was not extreme makeover. This was extreme makeover, Holy Spirit edition. And it filled Peter, and he stood up and boldly and proudly professed who he believed in, Jesus Christ, and said to the same people who killed him, you put him to death with your wicked hands, but God has made him Lord in Christ. You need to repent. And the Bible says when he said it, they were cut to the heart, and they said, what should we do to be saved? All the insecurity was gone. Wouldn't it be great? Let, let me just ask you, wouldn't it be great to live with absolute confidence every day instead of fear, intimidation, insecurity, and this constant fear, am I okay with God? Am I all right? And, and, and wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to have that authority in your homes because by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Satan is after your homes. He's after your, you know that when you came to Jesus, right, you picked up another enemy. And his name is the devil. And he has demons all throughout the world. You say, oh, I don't believe in demons. Well, then who was Jesus casting out all those times? Who was he casting out? Demons exist. And they're all over the world and they are trying to wreak havoc on the lives of God's people. And it's time for the church to be the church. And to know that we have authority. We have power over our spiritual enemy. And he has come this far and no further. I'm going to walk in confidence. I'm going to know boldly in, that, I, that I am safe in the power of Jesus. And I only get that when I receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to ask you to receive the Holy Spirit today. Would you stand with me this morning? He convinces the unbeliever that they need Jesus. If you need Jesus today, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come on out. Come up forward here and tell one of the prayer team members here, I need, I need Jesus in my life. Let the Holy Spirit finish the work of convicting you. You need to come to Jesus and confess him as Lord. He convinces the believer that you have right standing with God. Hey, Stop feeling so stinking insecure. Stop it. Do you know that you are wasting your time? <laughs> Do you realize how much time you're wasting? Oh, God, I don't know if you love me. Oh, God, I don't know if you forgive me for this. Oh, God, I don't know where I am with you. You are wasting your time. You, you, you are called to be more than a conqueror. And some of you, you're scared to death. You're scared of the future. You're scared of what's going to happen to your kids. You're scared of what's going to happen to your family. You're scared of what... Look, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And today, and, and today, he wants to just eliminate that. And I believe he's going to do it in your life. But you need to do something today. You need to step out from where you are. And I'm going to challenge you to don't, don't leave this room. Don't do it. Don't leave this room and say, I'll take care of it at home, Pastor. The Bible says that they laid hands on them 
and they received the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens in the scriptures. Now, we're either going to do things scripturally or we're not. And so we believe in the laying on of hands to receive the Spirit. We are not going to ask you to do anything weird. We don't believe the Holy Spirit makes anybody weird. It makes them powerful. And we are not going to embarrass you. But listen to me. We love you. And I don't want you running around letting the devil chase you all over the place. I don't want you stressing about life. I want you living confident, boldly, full of the Spirit and knowing, knowing today that you are God's child and no one and nothing in this world can change that. If that's you this morning, you say, yes, Pastor, I need that. I need that in my life. I want you to come on out, even right now. Let somebody pray for you and receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's do this quickly. Let's do this quickly. We'll close the service and we'll be done. Amen. Don't hesitate now. Don't hesitate now. Not here to embarrass a single soul. We just want to see the Holy Spirit come into your life. We'll lay your hands on you. Believe for God's absolute best. Come on out. Come on out. If you come out, just all the way to the front so that more people can come. We're going to pray for every single person that comes out today, and we're going to pray and believe for God's power to be upon them.
gives you an opportunity. Everybody's leaving. Nobody will watch you. Amen. You can come on down. We'll pray for you. Because I, I don't want you to leave this building the same way you came in. I don't. I want you to leave this building with absolute confidence that you are filled with the Spirit of God and nothing on this earth and no one in this world can take you away from God's best for you. All right, so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer, come on down. Come on down.